Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. I've been raped, beaten, and sodomized by uncountless times I can't have lost track. I remember how some of these guys say they love these girls when they don't fucking love us. They love the addiction, that they love the freaking drugs we bring and the money we bring. This is the story about incarcerated women across America who are being targeted by sex traffickers while they are serving time inside jails and prisons. Well, you got people that actually know the times that they release women from jail and they're they're right there waiting, you know, kind of like cabs and stuff, wait on people when they get out of jail. They approach her and they, and they ask her, hey, are you all right? And it goes from there. When I got into the car, he had a, um, a bottle of Heineken and a lot of crack. And I went right back to smoking crack my first day out of prison. During this investigation, we met women who were being prostituted on the streets by pimps, experiencing violence at the hands of sex buyers, and then being punished by the criminal justice system. One of my biggest fears when I was out there was that I was going to die behind a dumpster somewhere and like a piece of trash and nobody was going to even know who I was or even care. I'm Annie Kelly. Welcome to the story. Human trafficking takes many different forms, but is defined by exploitation. This episode is about how we made the trap, a Guardian investigative documentary that my colleague Mei-Ling McNamara and I worked on for over 18 months. Pimp-controlled prostitution is now recognised as one of the most brutal forms of human trafficking in the United States. It's an investigation into how prisons and jails across the United States have become recruiting grounds for sex traffickers. And when we say sex traffickers, we mean pimps or sex buyers or boyfriends or husbands, anybody who's profiting from the exploitation and the prostitution of women. And The Trap is an investigation also into how there are serious flaws in the criminal justice system in the United States that are leaving incarcerated and really vulnerable women exposed to trafficking whilst they're behind bars and under the watch of prison authorities. At about 14, 15 years old, I started sniffing cocaine and drinking and smoking pot. And for my friends, it was like experimenting. For me, it was escaping. Just trying to escape all of the stuff that was happening. It's estimated that hundreds of thousands of women, girls and boys are trapped in forms of sexual exploitation in the States that uh, is often very small and is, uh, is often very local. And pimp-controlled prostitution it is now recognised as being one of the most brutal and pervasive forms of human trafficking in the United States. 
I ended up working the streets in Maine south of Worcester. Nikki spent a decade in prostitution and addiction, often under the control of different pimps. I can just remember feeling like really dehumanized, you know, like people looking at me like I was some kind of animal. So this particular story started a few years ago and I was in the United States on assignment for The Observer magazine and I was spending time with Jennifer Kempton who was this incredible survivor who had uh, endured years of horrendous um, abuse at the hands of traffickers on the streets of Columbus in Ohio. And I was in a courthouse with Jennifer as part of the reporting with a group of other survivors who, like Jennifer, all had really lengthy criminal records. And one of these women came out of the courtroom and was collected by a man at the, at the door of the courthouse. And I asked the other women who this man was and they said, oh, that's her pimp. And when I came back from Ohio, I started talking to my colleague, Mailing McNamara, an American journalist who I've worked with on a number of other slavery investigations, about this intersection between trafficking and criminalization and incarceration in the United States. Anybody can be trafficked, right? There is no person that is unable to be trafficked if they have these different elements of vulnerability. And I thought about this, and so I started to do some research around this, and I came across... Um, a correctional officer, John Meekins, who had been talking about this out of his own prison in Lowell, Lowell Prison, uh, the largest women's prison in the United States. This man is accused of running a house of horrors. They say you're a career criminal. Haven't you learned your lesson? What did I do wrong? She came across this extraordinary story in Florida, the story of Richard Rawls. The 75-year-old accused pimp has allegedly been recruiting inmates from a women's prison in Ocala and forcing them to prostitute to make him money. And who had, for a number of years, been funneling women out of jails and prisons, picking them up, bringing them back to his house, and then trapping them in a life of, of prostitution and drug use. Richard, how many women did you have in that house? Like 25. Yeah. And John Meekins made it clear to us that he thought it was probably happening all over the country. Richard Rawls was the first sex trafficker convicted in the United States for trafficking women from prison. The only thing special about him is he got caught. He had trafficked at least 19 women from correctional facilities and detention centres across the state. Rawls was writing letters to women in prison and he was um, encouraging them to come home back to his house. He was promising them somewhere to stay. He was promising them that they wouldn't have to go back to a life of prostitution, that he would take care of them and that he would help them financially during their, during their time in prison. People that are releasing the inmates at night, they're sitting there saying, yeah, he was here again last night. And he was talking about, hey, he was here three times, you know, last month, and he's going to be here next week getting another one. It was John Meekins who found uh, letters from Rawls in an inmate's locker. And those letters were used as evidence in, in Rawls's conviction because they showed very, very clearly the whole grooming process that was happening. Richard Rawls was eventually charged with human trafficking and is currently serving a six-year prison sentence in Florida. 
And one of his victims, one of the women who was trafficked out of prison by rules and then kept prisoner in his house was Kate, who appears in the trap. I was searching for love in all the wrong places. I, like, I, I, I have been um, molested and I have been raped when I was 16, so I didn't have that love. And she's a young woman who was serving a, a prison sentence who was groomed by rules when she was behind bars. And then after she was released, she was taken back, um, promised drugs and housing, um, and told she wouldn't have to be a prostitute anymore, and ended up at his house. But I would come home and I would live in his house, and that everything would be okay, and he would be the love that I was searching for. Kate was able to tell us much more than we were able to include in the film. Kate was telling us how Richard Rawls would have women, former inmates, at his house who he would be coercing and forcing into writing letters to their friends who were still in prison, encouraging them to come back to Richard Rawls' house as well. So one of the reasons that Kate left and went back with Richard Rawls is that her best friend from prison was also at Richard Rawls' house and she was writing her letters encouraging her to come back to Rick's house when she came out. He came to pick me up. He brought me two sweater dresses because I got out in January. He brought me boots to wear. I got to pick which outfit. When I got into the car, he had a, um, a bottle of Heineken and a lot of crack. And I went right back to smoking crack my first day out of prison. The first two weeks is like a paradise. It's like going on a honeymoon. Every day, like wine and dine, you give you everything you want. And then out of nowhere, it switches up and they're like, this is what you gotta do. He started talking to me about going on dates, that I was costing him too much money. He was giving me all these drugs and that I owed him. When you have a drug addiction, you will do anything to get that drug. The police investigation found that Richard Rawls was then controlling these women through pharmaceutical, and illegal drugs and through very brutal beatings and uh, was profiting from their prostitution. John Meekins alleges he took his concerns to the authorities and he alleges that those concerns were repeatedly ignored over a number of, of months and that the prison authorities at Lowell just simply didn't want to know. I talked to certain staff members. 99% of the staff members don't even know what human trafficking is. The whole attitude was well, who the hell are you and why should we care? He believes that that showed that there was a culture not just of indifference, but a culture of negligence uh, in their duty of care so that the prison authorities didn't want to know what was happening inside their own facility because as far as they were concerned, when the women left the premises, they were no longer their problem. And the Richard Rawls case showed us that it was possible for traffickers to infiltrate correctional facilities in the United States. But we wanted to find out if this was happening in other parts of the US, not just Florida. And through John Meekins, we were introduced to Nikki Bell in Massachusetts, who became a central character in our film. My first boyfriend, he was 24 years old and I was 14 years old. He's having me have threesomes with different men. And I'm thinking, he's going to love me if I do this. But that romantic relationship ended up turning into a really exploitive relationship and it started as like, can you like sleep with this friend, do him a favour. And Nikki really just is the most incredible, inspirational woman. Um, she's a survivor of sex trafficking herself. She was herself trafficked out of a jail in Worcester where she was incarcerated on prostitution charges. And like many others, cycled in and out of prisons and back under the control of traffickers for many years. I can just remember feeling like really dehumanized, you know, like people looking at me like I was some kind of animal. 
you know, the soulless feeling of like just wanting to die and waiting for your body to catch up kind of thing. And she understands on a really visceral level the trap that lots of women find themselves in. And incredibly, Nikki has survived and she's left that lifestyle. She's left her addiction and she's turned things around in her own life to the extent that she now has a, a husband and a son and she runs this incredible NGO which is helping other women try and leave that life of prostitution and an addiction behind them. I remember being in here a lot, especially like in the middle of the night. I would always try to like go short on my drugs so I could save money to get a cup of coffee. And she now goes into the same jail where she was once herself incarcerated to run workshops with the other inmates. And she's there to say, this doesn't have to be your life. We are here to give you the option of a different kind of future when you leave this jail and here I am to show you that it is possible to make this change. A trafficker, or a pimp, or a boyfriend, or whatever one you want to call him, right, is somebody that's benefiting from our prostitutes. That's not worse than the John? It is, okay. I, yeah, absolutely, okay. absolutely, yeah. They know that we need the drug, and they know that we're like, desperate. we're weak at that point, we're mm -hmm. desperate, so they're taking advantage of us. Do you ever see these men going to jail? Yeah. Nope, they're sitting outside writing you guys letters, waiting for you to get out so they can victimize you again all over again. Mailing McNamara, who's my reporting partner and also the co-producer and director of the film, was really the boots on the ground for much of the filming that we did in Massachusetts. And she, along with the director of photography, Alex Healy, made multiple trips to Massachusetts over the course of the 18 months. At first, she was just there to film the workshops that Nikki was running in the, in the jail. But after a while, she gained the trust of the jail authorities and also the trust of the women themselves. And by the end, she was really given free reign to film the daily life of the women inside the jail and to talk to whoever was happy to share their story. I was able to talk to two women for hours about their stories. Women who were in fights, women were, who were in tears, women who were utterly, utterly in despair, women who were in detox. I was able to see women receiving letters, receiving money. It really was extraordinary access that we never imagined we would get and, and it was only in the last couple of trips to the jail that Mailing and Alex began to see this grooming process actually happening in front of them. 129.03. 129.03. That's more money than I had yesterday. Uh, but Mark Hollow put 85 in. Mark who? Hollow? No, no? Yeah, I do. Oh. Put a different lens. I hope so. <laughs> and one of the people we met who agreed to speak to us was Jess, and we filmed her both inside the jail and then a few weeks later, after she was released, back on the streets and back into a life of, of addiction and prostitution. You're really all alone. Sometimes without them, we'd have nobody. My family won't help me, you know? It's lonely. There's a palpable sense of despair there. A lot of these women are um, recovering from substance abuse, right? So this is the only time that they're not using when they're there. A lot of these women are completely without their families and their children, um, and there's a real sense of sadness. 
you know, jail doesn't provide you ever with enough things. You never have enough female sanitary products. You never have enough toothpaste. And so for these women, it is the tiniest, tiniest comfort. But more than that, there is a clear hierarchy in these prisons. If you have nothing, you are treated like dirt in the prisons. It is brutal, it is ruthless, and it is exclusive. So we had one inmate tell us in the jail in Massachusetts that many of the women in that jail were being supported by these men from the outside throughout the time that they were incarcerated. When they came out of incarceration, they then had a debt that they were expected to pay off. That was through prostitution or other criminal activity. Is this something that other pimps talk to other pimps about? Like, how did you know this? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, pimps, they talk about like places, different places where they go and recruit girls. That was Anthony Harris, a convicted sex trafficker, and we'll be hearing more from him after the break. We'll be looking at how pimps like him are able to exploit loopholes in the system to recruit and groom women inmates. We'll be right back after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. My name is Seyrun. I live in Reykjavik, Iceland. I read The Guardian every morning. I realize that this is something that I would like to pay for. It's a service I value. It's journalism I respect. The Guardian brings me the quality I like. So I realized, hey, this is something I, I should be a part of. Hello, my name is Brian and I live in Norwich. I decided to become a supporter of The Guardian newspaper because I like the quality of its journalism. And I also felt it was time to make a stand because I'm getting tired of the journalism I'm seeing in other newspapers that are owned by rich owners, where there is a lot of bias into their editorials. I hope this inspires some of you to become supporters too, and in your own small way, make a stand. Hi, my name is Wesley. I live in uh, Utrecht in the Netherlands, and I recently decided to become a Guardian supporter because it's well one of the few news sources that I feel is still delivering accurate news. Yeah, it feels like I can trust The Guardian. For me, that's, I think, the most important thing. And especially when they said we don't want to do too much advertisements and we don't want to become dependent upon other people can, that can manipulate the news, I felt that it was good to support our democracy. If, like Sigrun, Wesley and Brian, you would like to join the growing number of readers who support our independent journalism, then go to gu.com slash support slash podcast. 
Welcome back to The Story. I'm Annie Kelly. And the domestic violence led to drug use. The drug use led to prostitution, and prostitution led to trafficking. Before the break, we heard about The Trap, a Guardian documentary about sex trafficking and the criminal justice system in the United States. And we heard about one pimp in Florida who trafficked 19 women out of prisons across the state and into prostitution on their release. Marion became trapped in a cycle of addiction and prostitution. But this was just one specific case. And during the making of the film, we realized that this was far more widespread than we'd originally thought. But how do pimps actually identify women inside prisons and jails? Mailing McNamara, who's my colleague and co-producer on the film, found out just how easy it is. One of the more shocking and surprising things about our investigation was that it's very, very easy to access people in jails and prisons. What I mean by that is anybody can write to anyone in prison. Anyone could find out the inmate's account number or inmate number, and they can go through a pay system online and put money on their account. I myself tried it to see if I can just go on and do that, and anywhere you can do it. So for women who have nothing, um, these kind of commissary accounts, what they're called are commissary accounts, is they provide women to be able to have money while in, in jail. Having that is, it seems like a small price to pay. Oh, some, someone wants to put money um, in my account, I don't know them, that's okay. Um, but they're there waiting for them when they get out. How are you doing? I've been good. I'm going to make this short and sweet. I'm going to either send some money or just bring it up to you. LOL. I hope you're okay, kid. If you need anything I can help you with out here, let me know. Much love, somebody. I don't, I don't know who it is. <laughs> you offered to send me money if we got to know each other better. Yeah, and then when I get out, they expect something. They know when they get out because it's all online. It's all on the websites. It says where their home address is. It says what time they're getting out. It says, you know, where they live. So, you know, there is there is nothing for free there. Sometimes you want somebody to love you and you feel like it's real. Sometimes I have a boyfriend, but he lets me prostitute. So I'm like, does he really love me? You know, and he lies to me all the time. So I don't know. There, there are women there who have cycled in and out, who I saw on the streets back inside, and then I saw back on the streets. Every woman I talked to in the, in the jail and on the streets, they'd all had abuse at a young age. They all had, um, you know, obviously repeated violent sexual assault in the course of, of being on the streets, gang gang rape. You know, the, some of the, the delayed reaction and, and, you know, kind of PTSD I had from reporting on this was seeing women that are just like me who have been, you know, pregnant with children, um, but didn't have anything, right? I think what we found and, and what became evident as we went on with this investigation was that there are fundamental flaws in the criminal justice system across the United States that are leaving women inside those institutions really vulnerable to recruitment and being trafficked out of these institutions. So we found that, that a lot of this is happening in plain sight. When you look at it, when you examine it, when you expose it, it's almost blindingly obvious that these vulnerabilities in the system would be there. One of the gaps that we found as we were finishing the film was that we needed the voice of the traffickers in this. And we needed to corroborate that, in fact, this was a 
tried and true method that was happening not only in the states that we had gone into the jails and prisons, but in other places. We approached the Department of Corrections in Texas to see if any of their inmates who were serving time on trafficking charges would be willing to be interviewed by us. And it it came as a big surprise to all of us when in quite a short period of time, two of those inmates that we tried to contact responded and said yes, because getting this kind of access is, is very unusual. So Mailing went to Texas with our director of photography, Alex Healy, and they visited two inmates in two separate state prisons in Texas who gave us the the most incredible interviews about how easy it was to prey on women inside correctional facilities. Got recruited out of jail? Oh yeah, I hear about it all the time. You can write the females in jail or... Here's Anthony Harris. You might got a cousin or know somebody that's cousin or in jail. So they tell her, hey, my, my guy wants to talk to you. And next thing you know, you're writing her too. You put money on her books. A lot of people don't have the courtesy of people putting money on their books and sending them, um, sending them letters. So once you start doing that with a person, over a period of time, they become loyal to you. So you just got you a new girl. Believe it or not, it's a good recruiting place because most of the time the girls that come out of jail, they don't have nothing, don't have nowhere to go, don't have no family, they don't have any money, they don't have any food, they don't have nothing. So he was completely open and very, very clear. You got the boyfriend pimp, you got the gorilla pimp, in his descriptions of the types of pimps. You got the finesse pimp. Traffickers. And you got the druggy pimp. Uh, methods. The finesse pimp is the one that he doesn't care if she leaves. And for me, um, to be able to access people on the other side of the glass who you often do not hear voices from um, was, you know, was very, very compelling. You have the drug pimp. Those are the ones that's forcing the girls to do stuff stuff because they're addicted to a drug. And nine times out of ten, the girl is addicted to the drug. A gorilla pimp is the worst kind of pimp. Another thing that we found throughout the investigation was that sex traffickers were also targeting women who were awaiting a court date through the bail bond system. And that meant that when bail was set for these women, the traffickers either using cash bails or through corrupt bondsmen were paying these women's bail bonds and then holding that bond over them as a form of debt bondage and threatening to rescind that bond and send them back to jail if they didn't prostitute to make their money. And do you think, um, you know, have you heard of of people paying other women's bail, right? So like... Oh, yeah. So explain that a little bit, too. I mean, I hear that all the time. You pay someone's bail, they owe you. Basically, but you let them know from the beginning, like, hey, I'm gonna pay your bill. You, you wanna come to work or what? But most of the girls are already, they're already in the lifestyle. They just get called to go to jail for other kind of charges. So you be like, hey, and you're a known pimp, and you tell her, hey, your bail is five thousand, you know, or twenty thousand. They want me to drop two thousand. If I drop just two thousand, you know, you gonna come work it out, work for me or what? How much do you think the bail bondsmen know about, like, kind of what's happening with that? I mean, they know. They don't care. They just want their money. They know it all the time. They know pimps come bond girls out. They know pimps use people to bond people. As long as they get their money, they don't care. To hear Anthony Harris sit back and just corroborate so casually everything that we had been finding in, in thousands of miles away in a jailhouse in Massachusetts and across the country was, was really an extraordinary moment. And when Mailing came out afterwards and called and said, you'll never guess well, you know, what we just heard. It was a real breakthrough moment for us. 
we then took those interviews with the traffickers and the evidence that we'd found in this jail in Massachusetts and Florida. And we worked over the next couple of months to really corroborate this and stand this up in other states through multiple interviews with sex trafficking survivors. I think we interviewed over 30 women throughout the whole process. And we also interviewed former correctional officers, um, attorneys, prosecutors, law enforcement, to really build up a picture of, of just how widespread this pattern of grooming and recruitment was. And in the end, we, we stood up that this was happening in 10 different states across the country. As soon as they are arrested and charged, women are becoming potential targets for human traffickers. In many states, personal data of anyone arrested for a crime is immediately put online. But the bigger issue this for us was not just that this trafficking is happening within correctional facilities across the United States, dresses. but that these women are left without any of the vital rehabilitation or support services that they need to be able to rebuild their lives. Come on, ladies. I would say on a kind of macro scale... What is needed is for these women to be valued by society. They need to be able to be given the chance of an alternative life. It's estimated that the average life expectancy of a sex worker in the United States is 34 years old, which I think gives some indication about the kind of life that these women are living. That, that click that you hear, and I remember the first time I came back, my thoughts were... Am I allowed to leave? Are they going to keep my shoes? Nikki herself has lost Sometimes seven women this year that she works with to overdoses or to other kinds of violent deaths. This is a life that chews people up and spits them out and they either die or they live this life until they, they are completely spent. I just remember the feelings of the dread, the hopelessness, the how did I do that, get here again... Nikki was an inmate at this jail, where she was also groomed and recruited by traffickers. Now she comes back here to try and stop others from falling into the same trap. On a more practical level, there needs to be better training of staff within correctional facilities. There needs to be more Nikki's in more jails and prisons across the United States, giving the same kind of interventions within, within the correctional facilities themselves. There needs to be very specialist and targeted support services when they leave incarceration. And that that support needs to be, it needs to be long term. So it needs to be something that will sustain someone's experience in the months and even years after they leave incarceration. You know, one of the reasons why we thought documentary and film visually would be such a important way to tell the story is that you need to see and hear in ways that print cannot get across the kind of vulnerability that these individuals are experiencing. And to see uh, inside of a jail, to see the streets, to see uh, you know, someone's physical deterioration after incarceration is, is so compelling that, you know, print cannot be the only format in which to, to tell this story. And there are 1.3 million women in the United States who are in some kind of contact with the criminal justice system. Most women across America are, are in jails and prisons for non-violent crimes. There are 
thousands of women in jails across America on prostitution charges and, and anti-trafficking advocates believe that up to 80% of those women have been or will become victims of trafficking. And there are people that say, well, prostitution is a choice. They're not forced to do this. It's not trafficking. But I think you've got to understand that the word consent is not in any legal definition of trafficking. That trafficking occurs when one person, through the use of fraud, force or coercion, exploits and profits from another person's prostitution. And that is trafficking. And of course, not all prostitution is trafficking. But it's safe to say that every single one of the women that we met throughout these 18 months had at some point been under the control of a third party, whether that was a pimp, whether that was a boyfriend or a partner who was profiting from their prostitution. The film's had a really great response from viewers, but more than that, it's already proved to be incredibly um, helpful to Nikki in terms of raising support for the work that she's doing in Massachusetts. And she intends to now use this film um, in order to kind of push out the work that she's doing, not just in Massachusetts, but also linking up with the other um, people doing similar work across the United States. We made this film during the year of uh, a major sea change in the way that women are perceived uh, with this Me Too movement. And one of the most uh, stark differences for me was looking at the way that a lot of these women, these prostitute women, these trafficked women, these incarcerated women have been completely left out of that conversation. What I see is that a lot of these women have no voice um, in society, they have no status in society, and they are uh, stigmatized and criminalized. And while the Me Too movement has been incredibly helpful for many women across many sectors of society, there's no doubt about that, there is an absolute blind spot for women who, from, from many no fault of their own, have, have come from abuse and trauma and chaotic homes. To, to be criminalized at a very young age and to be prostituted and are now um, some of the most um, vulnerable people in society. As a journalist, it's been the toughest job I've ever done. Um, as a woman and a mother, it's been incredibly harrowing to see what these women are living through on a day-to-day -day basis. But it's also been the most humbling in terms of being, just having contact with women like Nikki and to be trusted with the stories of women whose voice doesn't often get heard. Hey, Mama. Hey, baby. Yeah, those are, I like those too. You're gonna be sneezing in a minute. This is my oldest I'm daughter, Tasha. Tasha. This is Tasha Jones, my oldest daughter. This is Saya. Saya, listen. My youngest granddaughter, and this is my step grandson.
Following their investigation, the filmmakers reached out to the Florida Department of Corrections, who responded with the following statement. When the department learned of the allegations involving Richard Rolls, FDC's Office of the Inspector General, OIG, immediately contacted the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, FDLE. The department discovered FDLE had an active investigation into Rawls and his activity with inmates at Lowell, and OIG staff began assisting in the investigation by providing further evidence to FDLE as needed until Rawls was arrested and charged. This episode of The Story was presented by me, Annie Kelly, and also featured my co-reporter, Mei-Ling McNamara. The producer was Shahani Fernando. To find out more about The Trap and to watch the film, head over to theguardian.com slash documentaries. We'll also include a link to the film in this episode's description on The Guardian website. If you want to find out more about Nikki Bell and her amazing work with sex trafficking survivors in Worcester, visit her website at www.liftworcester.org. And to find out more about Guardian podcasts, head over to theguardian.com slash podcasts or reach out to us on podcasts at theguardian.com. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.